Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. In the time of Moses, life was difficult for Israel. Slavery, bondage, servitude, brutal taskmasters, heavy burdens, daily despair, hopelessness. It wasn't always that way. 400 years prior, Egypt provided a place of refuge and rescue. You probably remember the historical narrative. Egypt had plentiful food in time of famine. Under the guidance, ironically, of all people, a Hebrew, Joseph. But that changed. There arose in Egypt a leader, a pharaoh, who did not know of Joseph, did not know the story of Joseph, had ascended the throne and did not have any idea about the great deeds and works of Joseph and didn't really want to know. And what Joseph's God, the one true God, had done not only for Egypt, but the entire ancient Near East. And so what happened? Joseph gathers his family. His father Jacob also called Israel and brings them all down. Brings them at home. Israel had journeyed willingly to the land of Egypt brought by Joseph and had been blessed in the journey by plentiful grain and dwelt in the land of Goshen. But what had once been a land of extreme blessing and, again, rescue, uh, became a place of enslavement. 400 years after Joseph, the Hebrews had become a source of cheap labor. And a refuge became a place of, of sorrow and pain. What had once been a place of life became a place of death. A land of exile, you probably remember, where baby boys, because the Hebrews were so plentiful, the baby boys were thrown into the Nile River, were killed purposefully. The people needed deliverance. They needed someone who would gather them together. One who would remind them of whose they were and whose God they believed, in whom they believed. And that they were in relationship with this God. They needed to be liberated from this terrible land of oppression, of slavery and death, of horror. They needed someone to stand up to Pharaoh. So God sent Moses. We could talk at length about Moses, we could talk about his abilities or probably more fittingly, his lack thereof. We could talk about his training, his education, his background, his reluctance, his temper, his wimpiness, his lack of desire to see things through. We could speak at length about all these 
things. But God was able to use even someone like Moses to deliver his people with a mighty outstretched arm. Of course, it's God behind all of it. But one stubborn Pharaoh and ten plagues later, Moses and the Israelites are now headed back to the land that God had promised. But some obstacles remain. Some big obstacles remain between them and their rescue as they leave Egypt. A large army and a big body of water. Two obstacles, and the Israelites are in the middle of them both. Pharaoh and his army coming up from behind, and the Red Sea looming large ahead. They are between the proverbial rock and a hard place. But God has a plan. God has a way. God will deliver His people. You heard about it as we read it in the historical narrative from the Exodus. Yahweh tells Moses to raise his staff over the waters, and miraculously, unexpectedly, stupendously, the waters part. And the people pass through the waters on dry ground. As the people go through, they are rescued from the land of slavery and death, delivered by an unexpected source. The people cross over dry land as they begin their return from exile. And then, to tie up all the loose ends and to show his great and mighty power and to show them his mercy, the waters collapse on the advancing Egyptian army Pharaoh and his army are destroyed. In the words of Moses, God says to his people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. And you have only to be silent. And so, through the Lord, the Hebrew people are saved. Isn't it crazy to think there is life and death in those waters? The same waters that destroy evil Pharaoh and his oppressive army save the people of God. The Egyptians are drowned. The Israelites walk away alive. The waters that killed also Preserved life. And this will not be the last time that the Lord uses water to destroy an enemy and give life to his people. This will not be the last time that the Lord uses water to bring his people back from exile. Now you guys know what happened. We heard about it in the letter to the Hebrews where even though the people had witnessed God's mighty, awesome deeds and his mighty, awesome deliverance and His great love and salvation for them. Boy, did they have a long list of complaints. Boy, did they disobey. Boy, did they turn away. 
Boy, did they have to deal with something inside themselves that was causing problems. We have that same enemy as they did. It's a land of bondage. It's a land of slavery. Not to Egyptians, but to sin, death, and the power of the devil. Enemies of God. Enemies of you and me. And they seek to enslave God's people. Oh sure, they talk a good game. They make it look like you're free. You're not. Anyone who sins is a slave to sin. Jesus said that. These enemies are successful. We groan under the terrible burden of everlasting life. The wages of sin that we all carry. And the burdens. And we need deliverance. We need escape. The thing is, we can't do it ourselves. We need a Savior. We need a Deliverer who will gather us up, bring us out of our land of exile, and remove the obstacles that stand between us and reconciliation with God and with one another. We need one who will stand up to Satan and his evil power, who will break the bonds of sin and death. And so God sends us Jesus. We could spend time talking about Jesus and the miracles that He did, about how He spoke with authority, not like the scribes or the teachers of the law. We could speak of His power. We could speak of His lineage. We could speak of His sacrifice, of His love and mercy, of the promises that were fulfilled in Him. But suffice it to say, we do well to know Him as God with us. God who became flesh to dwell among us and rescue us and restore us. And how did this journey start? And how did His journey become ours? Jesus went down into the waters of the Jordan to take the world's sin upon Himself. He went down to be baptized by John, not because He needed to be washed clean of sin, because He didn't have any sin. He went to take your sins and my sins upon Himself. Make them His own. And then do battle with the forces of evil. To do battle and to overcome throughout his entire life to remain faithful. Because as we look at our Lord, he is a true light to the nations. He does live in perfect relationship to God and neighbor. He is obedient Israel reduced to one. That is why Jesus is baptized. Christ went down to be baptized, went into the water to gather all that sin to Himself in order to cleanse us and prepare for us washing of renewal and the Word. 
to exchange all that terrible stuff that we give him, and in exchange we get his life, holiness, blessedness, and kingdom. Baptized in the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, united to our Lord. Here God makes you a promise. The obstacles that prevent your return, the dividing wall of hostility that was raised because of your sin, the separation of body and soul that you will experience because of the wages of sin and death, all those things are removed because you are connected to your Lord by the power of water and the Word. And now from the water and the Word flow God's gifts of forgiveness of sins. Flow His gift of the Holy Spirit. A Spirit that grants us and has us look to Jesus, to follow Jesus. A Spirit that would have us receive His Word with thanksgiving and eagerness. A Spirit that leads us to believe in God's deliverance that has been given to us through the means of grace. And because of God's promise through water and the Word, these are waters of life and death. They're waters of life and death. What does baptism by water indicate, Martin Luther asks. It indicates that the old Adam in us should by daily contrition and repentance be drowned and die with all sin and evil desire. And that a new man should daily emerge and arise to live before God in righteousness and purity forever. St. Paul writes in Romans chapter 6, and this is something that we talk about and recite in the funeral liturgy. We were therefore buried with Him, that is Jesus, through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, to the glory of God the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. We're united in a death like His. We're united in a resurrection like His. Connected to our Lord and His promise. By God's promise through water and the Word, by His Holy Spirit, our connection to Jesus, our old Adam is drowned as all sin is washed away in the flow of Christ's blood. Up from the waters we arise by the power of the Holy Spirit, by God's working, a new Adam, dead to sin, alive to God in Christ Jesus. Returned from exile, returned from a land of slavery, sin, and death. Return through water and the word. Christians rejoice. I know it's easy to look at your baptism as nothing that important. No big deal. What are those crazy people doing? It depends on God's promise. It depends on God's miraculous delivery through His Son. Just as incredible as that parting of the sea. It's actually even greater. Take joy. Rejoice, Christians. 
Rejoice, brothers and sisters in Christ. God has delivered you from these oppressive powers. You are no longer a slave. You are free. You are free. Through His Son, you have been brought from slavery to new life and freedom in Him. To God alone be the glory. And in the name of Jesus, Amen. Now may the peace which transcends all human understanding guard your hearts and minds through faith in Christ. Amen.